continuing in the series that our pastor has been leading us through as we go through the book of Ezekiel. Uh, that has been a challenging. There have been verses that you go, man, what, when you read it, you wonder, how in the world can I get anything out of this particular passage? In, in chapter 13, not so much. It's pretty clear what the prophet Ezekiel is speaking into the church. Uh, here a while back, I know you probably don't spend any time on Facebook, but occasionally when I look at some of the posts my friends have made, uh, sometimes they'll have a cute little cartoon. And I remember when this cartoon popped up on my Facebook feed, and uh, I laughed at it. You know, on the left-hand side is a pastor with a church that says, uh, Sermon Series, What God Has Said. And on the right, there's a church right across from him that says, Sermon Series, What You Would Rather Hear. Yeah, that's the way I reacted when I first saw that. And then the more I began to think about it, this is a handoff. Uh, <laughs> I had a dead battery uh, on the mic. Uh, <laughs> the more I began to look at that, the more convicted I became. I went, oh God, this is where we are as a church. And this cartoon is, uh, though meant to be humorous, is a great setup for Ezekiel chapter 13. Let's begin. I'm reading the entire chapter, so I've, I want to get, get going and, and get going quickly so we can hurry up and, and see. Uh, by the way, Tony, good to have you here this morning, my friend. <laughs> Tony's been out for a good while, and pray for him as he continues to heal. He's been in the hospital, and uh, that's my friend, so I, I like to tell him I'm glad he's back. Uh, Ezekiel 13, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets, Israel, are like jackals among the ruins. You did not go up to the gaps or restore the wall around the house of Israel so that it might stand in battle on the day of the Lord. They see false visions and speak lying divinations. They claim this is the Lord's declaration when the Lord did not send them. Yet they wait for the fulfillment of their message. Didn't you see a false vision and speak a lying divination when you proclaimed this is the Lord's declaration? even though I had not spoken. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. I am against you because you have spoken falsely and had lying visions. This is the declaration of the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and speak lying divinations. They will not be present in the fellowship of my people or be recorded in the register of the house of Israel. And they will not enter the land of Israel then you will know that I am the Lord Yahweh. Since they have led my people astray, saying, Peace, when there is no peace. For when someone builds a wall, they plaster it with whitewash. Therefore tell those who plaster it that it will fall. Torrential rain will come, and I will send hailstones plunging down, and a windstorm will be released. Now when the wall has fallen, you will not be asked, where is the coat of whitewash that you put on it? So this is what the Lord God says. I will release a windstorm in my wrath. Torrential rain will come in my anger and hailstones will fall in destructive fury. I will tear down the wall you plastered with whitewash and knock it to the ground so that its foundation is exposed. The city will fall and you will be destroyed with it. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. 
After I exhaust my wrath against the wall and against those who plaster it with whitewash, I will say to you, the wall is no more, and neither are those who plastered it. Those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw a vision of peace for her when there was no peace. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Now, son of man, turn toward the women of your people who prophesy out of their own imagination. Prophesy against them and say, this is what the Lord God says. Woe to the women who sew magic bands on the wrist of every hand and who make veils for the heads of people of every height in order to ensnare lives. Will you ensnare the lives of my people but preserve your own? You profane me in front of my people for handfuls of barley and scraps of bread. You kill those who should not die and spare those who should not live. When you lie to my people who listen to lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. I am against your magic bands that you ensnare people with like birds, and I will tear them from your arms. I will free the people you have ensnared like birds. I will also tear off your veils and deliver my people from your hands so that they will no longer be prey in your hands. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. Because you have disheartened the righteous person with lies, even though I have not caused him grief, and because you have encouraged the wicked person not to turn from his evil way to save his life. Therefore, you will no longer see false visions or practice divination. I will deliver my people from your hands. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. Father God, a message from old with an incredible modern-day application. Reveal to us the truth from this passage. Lead us to understand what is being said here to a nation of old is being said to a nation today. Open up its meaning. Cause our hearts to respond as your Spirit leads. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thirteen chapters into Ezekiel, God turns his focus from a nation to a specific group, and that is the prophets who have lied and misguided people. You remember the cartoon, the, the prophets began to share things that the people wanted to hear. It made them feel good, but it was not a word that God had sent, and he words things very specifically in this chapter. There are six offenses that he charges these false prophets with. Number one, he said they prophesied from their own inspiration. The word inspiration there, you, in your translation, you may have a different word. Some translations have imagination, but the original word meant you lie out of your own heart, you prophesy. Not the heart of God. You are speaking things out of your own heart, not mine. Number two, they have followed their own spirit. Now, there are two spirits, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of evil. So if you're not following the Spirit of God, right. Number three, they have seen nothing as far as a vision from God. Number four, they have not gone to the breaches for my people. Number five, they see falsehood. Number six was probably the culmination. They have misled my people. This passage from Ezekiel 
has a lot of the similar tones and similar message that we find in Jeremiah. In chapter 23 of Jeremiah, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the shepherds whom I, who shepherd my people. You have scattered my flock, banished them, and have not attended them. I will attend to you because of your evil acts. The word woe is only found four times in Ezekiel, but it's also found in, in uh, Jeremiah and uh, Isaiah. And the word, we use that today, woe is me. You know, we just use that word without understanding the original meaning. In the context of this passage and in the setting in which it is used, it is a funeral dirge word. It, it extremes... It, it bears extreme suffering and, and mourning. And when God uses it, it's a pretty strong word. And in the time that he used it, these people understood how he was using that word. In Jeremiah 29, 8, the Lord says, For this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says, Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners, diviners uh, deceive you. And don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. The Brobden commentary said about these false prophets that they believed. And, I, and I, I, once I read it, I went, yeah, I, I think that's true. You can, believe a, you, can, you can speak a lie so long that you begin to believe it as truth. It happens in America today. People say something so long they believe it is actually true. As a little child defending I, I had a problem with lying as a young boy growing up because I feared my father's wrath more than I feared getting caught. And after a while, you're just sitting there l telling a lie that you know is a lie, but after a while, you begin to believe it yourself because you want to be very convincing when you spread that lie. Uh, and the Scripture says, and have seen nothing. This, uh, this implies that they not only didn't have a divine vision, but they were totally incapable of receiving a vision from God. Here at the 13th chapter of Ezekiel, God is speaking to false prophets. And he's making a delineation here. And I want us to glance back very quickly at Ezekiel chapter 2 when God calls Ezekiel to speak into this nation. And he makes the delineation here. God says in Ezekiel 2, He said to me, this is Ezekiel speaking, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I listened to the one who was speaking to me. He said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to the rebellious pagans who have rebelled against me. The Israelites and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this day. The children are obstinate and hard-hearted. I am sending you to them, and you must say to them, This is what the Lord God says. Whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are a rebellious house. And here's what I wanted to get to in the second chapter of Ezekiel to compare it to what God is talking about with these false prophets. He says, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Anybody here old enough to know who Junior Hill is? Everybody else going, who? Big old guy brought him to preach at our church in Pensacola and the pastor built him up big time I'd never heard of him didn't know him when he walked in I went well I was expecting somebody that looked more professional than that 
He told a couple of jokes about his size. He said he had lost over a thousand pounds in his life. Gained it all back. He asked his wife if she had seen his belt around the house, and she said, oh, will it go around the house now? <laughs> and then he opened God's Word and preached. I remember both of those jokes. He preached the simplest message I have ever heard in my life. And I literally, and I've confessed this, I've repented of this, I thought, I thought, what turnip truck did you fall off of? That's the simplest message. I was expecting something that would just really challenge us. He gave, the, he gave the invitation. 36 people walked forward and gave the heart to Christ. I found myself standing back going, what just happened? I was sitting there going, all right, let's make it through this. And I thought, what did they hear that I didn't hear? And we were in the presence of a man gifted with the spiritual gift of evangelism. And God honored that. And I did not perceive that, but to, to whom all, all the people that God was wanting to speak to that day that would respond, they stood up and came forward. I baptized 33 of them that night. God is saying, they will know whether they listen to you or not. When I get through speaking, Ezekiel, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And they will be able to delineate between the guys that we've been listening to and this man. You know, when a prophet comes to your town, especially in biblical days, <laughs> it wasn't a welcome sight. They seldom had a word to make you feel good. They, they, they seldom came and said, hey, God sent me with a message to tell you you guys are doing awesome. Just keep it up. No, that's not why God would send a prophet. And so when you saw one walk into your town, you might say about yourself, woe is me back to chapter 13 your prophets israel you notice how god makes a distinction here your prophets israel are like jackals among the ruins what an accusation god's making here these are not god's prophets he are saying he's saying to israel these are yours they're not mine i i, I have nothing to do with them they have nothing to do with me so therefore they're yours why because you followed them in the crazy way, this is a little rabbit, bear with me. In the crazy way a church calls a pastor, God often will work in that process. But I found it really interesting that a church will go, they'll, they'll lose their pastor, not that they can't find him, he just left. And he gets always, I like the, the guy who told me, he says, isn't it interesting how God always calls a man to a higher paying job and a bigger church? Uh in the, in the way they do that, they will go after a guy that is ready to leave his church and has a resume. Sometimes he's not ready to leave, but they just go after him because they heard about him, and so they, they'll talk to him. Well, they'll get a resume. They'll get a stack of resumes, and they'll go through them, and they'll, they'll pray through this whole process, and then they'll come down to one guy that they want to they invite. So they invite him to their church. He preaches the best sermon he's got in his arsenal of sermons more than likely will not write one just for that occasion. He'll pull the best he's got. And the search committee will talk to, the, to that prospective pastor, and they will make the church out to be the greatest opportunity he's ever seen. We are great. We are ready for a leader, and we are ready to move ahead, which they aren't always. If they had been, maybe the last guy wouldn't have left. <laughs> and so each kind of misleads the other one, and then they will 
extend a call to that pastor to come be their pastor. Well, I will meet some of the church members from that church. And they'll go, hey, Brother Dave, did you hear what happened with us? And I said, what? We, we, we called a new pastor. And I just have to bite my tongue to keep them saying, you called him? I don't find anything biblical about that. We went out shopping for a new pastor, and we called one. And I, Now, God works, God works through incredible, faulty, frail human beings, which blows my mind. But maybe that could contribute to the reason why there's all, so many pastor-church conflicts that go on in, in churches today, because the church called one. God didn't send them one. And there's a new way of thinking. <laughs> I hope we don't experience that for a long time. Amen? Because it's not a fun process, and it's definitely not fun to be on a search committee. God reveals some of the signs that these men were not his prophets by describing the things that they should have cared for had they been genuine, but actually they had no interest in. He uses a metaphor as a wall and an outside invading force and as whitewashing. He said, they should have been guarding my people from false messages. They should have been guarding my people from sin. They should have been calling out sin. They should have been challenging my people to draw closer to me and to follow closer to my word, but they weren't doing that at all. They were building their own little kingdom. Their lies are compared to outside invaders. They actually thought that these prophets actually thought that they could speak something, and when they spoke it, then God would do it. So they would speak it and stand around waiting for it to come true. We don't have any record of this, but I can just see some of these manipulating people to try to make whatever it is they spoke come true so it would look like they had some credibility. What heresy that God's waiting for you to speak, to move? He talks about whitewashing, about how God was going to cause that storm to cover. This was a term that everybody knew. They always knew what it looked like to whitewash. And at that time, we didn't have, you know, the nicer paints that we have today that are weatherproof. When the storm came, your whitewashed wall would it would be washed away. And so they understood that term. You put it up there, and I'm going to reveal what's under it. In verse 13, God's message of condemnation transitions from the men to women. Women prophetesses, or by Ezekiel's description, more like sorcerers, the kind of mistruth that they would speak. They preyed upon common human fear of the unknown and the curiosity of those who wanted to know what would happen in the future. We hadn't changed a lot. In modern times, you might know them as palm readers or those who can tell your future by the stars or your birth sign or some little trinket that you believe in or some little prayer catcher that you hang somewhere. I mentioned a while ago there's only two sources, and they can only be accurate by one source, and it's not God leading them. For they are building their own. You, you go into a palm reader. I see the big old hand. You know, little, Sometimes I've seen a lit-up sign out in front of a mobile home. They must be really good. And it'll say, palm reader. And uh, I can guarantee you they won't do it for free. And they've been around for a long time. Uh, before you ascribe to these, be careful what power you're submitting yourself to. God wants you to know no more of your future than he has already given us in his word. He told the disciples, he said, 
blessed are you who have seen me and believed, but more blessed are those who at First Baptist Church on a Sunday morning who believed in me and have not seen me, nor seen any evident, physical evidence of my work, but have believed me anyway. He says, get rid of your, so get rid of your good luck charms, your superstitions, or anything else you put stock in. And, and let, me t- let me give you a slight warning. Set thing up there in the baptistry. There's no power in that thing right there. Some of you are going, wait a minute. God never wanted us to bow down before a cross. He never wanted us to worship a cross. He wanted us to worship and praise Him for what the cross produced, and that is payment for our sins. John Green had a young boy that, at a school that he's working with that walked up and make sure I'm telling this right, John. He had a cross around his neck, and he goes, I'm good, right? Like, I'm good because I've got this secret charm, and it'll keep me against, I can live like I want to as long as I've got this. I've seen some ungodly singers on TV. Some of you are going, what are you watching? That will wear a cross, and I'm going, "Mm, you don't know what that means. The cross is merely a sign of connection with us to other believers, period. Period. But too many of us believe it has some kind of special power. It doesn't. God, in this passage, declares as sin the religious trinkets these women sold for a profit. We know there were, there were bands, and we know there were head coverings, and their greatest sin was in saying that, that God had commanded them, or God will do this if you'll wear this, and they were selling it in the process. These trinkets, magic bands, and veils are only mentioned here, nowhere else in the Old Testament. And God says, I will deliver my people from what you're preaching and telling and doing. In 2 Peter 1.20, we find these words way up in the New Testament. First of all, you should know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I think, and I've been guilty of this, well, I just believe God and then I will express something that, that is really a personal opinion. Well, I just think the preacher standing up there ought to wear a tie. I just think the, the church should do this. I just think the church should do I, I think God would be more pleased if we did this. And we're express, expressing our own opinion, but using God's name as a conveyance to express our own opinion. Am I the only one that's ever done this? <laughs> Second Peter 2. But there were also, listen to tenses here. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you they will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves many will follow their unrestrained ways and the way of the truth will be blasphemed because of them they will exploit you in their greed with deceptive words their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle and their destruction does not sleep notice he said just as there were there will be is he speaking just to the audience that's hearing that letter reading that letter no he's speaking to us today just as there were what does ezekiel 13 have for us today as old a passage as that is there were false prophets then Second Peter says, and there will be false prophet in the days to come. And we were told that if, if you dig in a little bit of revelation, you will find there will be a lot of false prophets coming up. And we got them today. We don't have to look all the way to Houston. We can look in our own town and find false prophets. That is true today. Philip Nation, 
friend of mine, I had both his boys in my youth group in Nashville, was a speaker at the D6. D stood for, stands for Deuteronomy. And our, and our uh, generation staff, our education staff, traveled to Orlando a few weeks ago to, to attend this conference. Philip was one of the speakers. And I wrote this down when he said this. I thought, this is incredibly good. Uh, he said, no one drifts on their own accord. I added on their own accord. No one drifts toward holiness. We must guard against the drift. By nature, by the sin nature of our being, we do not drift into getting closer to God just by being awake and alive. We must fight the devil at every front. It is a, it is a concerted effort on our part to strive to chase after him. And even when we fall, when we rise up, we ought to be looking toward the Savior, looking toward the cross. On Monday mornings at 6.30 a.m. at Maple Street Biscuit on Fleming Island, there's a group of us here that meet each week to pray and study. And we've been going through a book called The Unsaved Christian, and it's written, written by Dean and Sarah, the pastor and founder of City Church in Tallahassee, a, a gigantic church that he is, God has used him to build up to be quite a church, reaching a lot of the college students there. In this, week's, this past week's chapter... We read a story of how he used to be a part of an Episcopal church. And in 2003, the New Hampshire diocese named a bishop who not only left his wife, but did so for a homosexual relationship. Those churches who held to biblical authority were torn over, over the decision. And in the process of that denomination splitting over this issue, one bishop pounded his fist and exclaimed, listen carefully, their God needs to learn to change with the times. I, I reached over when I was reading this, I reached over and grabbed a highlighter and I highlighted that. Their God needs to change with the times. That happened in 2003, but it's happening, and it's happening at a more rapid pace than it's ever happened before. We are being told, I mean, Chick-fil-A is being told they're haters. We are being told that, our, that the God we serve isn't catching up with the, with the current times. My God is the God of current times. And He will not bow down to your whims. Thus saith the Lord, and they will know that there's been a prophet in the midst. God told Ezekiel, you will know that I am Yahweh. There's come a, coming a day of reckoning. Sometime, uh, you know, in America today, false prophets are leading followers who only get their beliefs from the man who stands before them. Why? Because they don't know the truth. I, I read this passage and I went, wait a minute, is there no one in all of Israel that stood up and went, that's not the truth? Was there no one in Israel that knew better and could call out these prophets and say to their friends, don't listen to him? But they were uninformed. They were ignorant, and it sounded good. It made a lot of sense. Students, when you get ready to go off to college, you're going to sit under the teachings of an authority at that college who will challenge your faith, and it will make sense. But it is far from what God would have you to believe. Far. You cannot believe the number of students who will leave the faith during their college years. Why? Because they sat under the 
the tutelage of an ungodly man who said things that make sense, and that's what these false prophets were doing. It makes sense. It sounds good, and I like it. Hey, have, did, you, were you at, did you hear what the priest said last week? Man, that prophet said last week, and wasn't that good? That was good. Man, we'll tweet that. But it's not truth. And they claimed to speak from God, and they didn't. Sometime back, we showed a video series entitled The American Gospel. And this series describes Americans' modern-day false prophets and leaders as they claim to speak for God things that God never declared. They make for themselves a faith of convenience, and many are filling stadiums with easy prey. I want to show you, know, you a clip you of the trailer for, for part two of the American Gospel. Okay? I am blessed. You know God wants you hey, can you back that up and start that over? Yeah. There you go. Crank that volume up. I'm talking about your money. I broke the back of poverty with a thousand dollar suit. I am blessed. I am prosperous. Your words will become your reality. When you name it and you claim it and it still doesn't happen, what am I doing wrong, God? I felt like I was walking on eggshells all the time because it felt as if at any moment I can go to hell because I'm not doing enough. You know what the Bible tells Christians to do? Examine yourself. Are you coming to God for God? Or are you coming to God so that you can ultimately get what your heart's truly after and that's something else? You can grow up in the church, hear a gospel about freedom, and still work your tail off trying to maintain the image that you're a good person. 99.9% .9 of people are not bad people. They may make poor choices, but deep down, they've got a good heart. And my wife looked back at me and she said, why are you yelling at the television? And I said, because that's not the whole gospel. Following Christ is not about this list of things you need to go do for him. Following Christ is about this sense of awe over what he's done for you. And when you come in contact with him, you change. And when the heart changes, everything changes. Wow, like Jesus died for my sins? That's so convenient for me. I don't have to go to hell, but I'm going to go do my own thing. <laughs> Which is not the gospel at all. What do you think happened to me? We're going to be fine. If hell didn't exist, neither would this ministry. Seriously, I wouldn't be out surfing. I'd have long hair, just living for myself, but I can't. And you, you don't want to burn, do you? Right. Which, like, if that's the best message you have, that's just a crap message. The answer for being unloving is not to be overtolerant. That's not the right answer. Welcome to real Christianity. The origins of the prosperity gospel are not Christian at all. It is cultic theology that has been wrapped in some Christian lingo. You've been accused of getting the gospel wrong. It's a damnable heresy that hurts people and sends them to hell. People ain't worried about no blood on the cross. They're worried about how they're going to make it through the day. Is this gospel, is this good news primarily about you? I am a victor, not a victim. I'm going to live a long, productive, faith-filled life. Or is this a message about God? The cross embodies both the wrath and the love of God. We see that as a contradiction, and yet God doesn't. The cost of accepting the gospel could be your family. The people you love most in the world, you must love Jesus more. But it's worth it. I opened that word, and nothing was ever the same. Go make disciples. That is the call of every believer. I've got to share this news. If I want to believe God for a $65 million plane, you cannot stop me. Christianity has been built and has carried through the generations on the blood of men, not on the wealth. How can I just continue to live my life as if this isn't true? 
So I abandoned my version of the American dream and I said, I will do what I can to take the gospel to the nations. That's just the trailer of part two. If you would like to see the entire series, it's available in the library. Tell them I sent you. How do we know a false prophet or teacher? One, we've got to know the truth. Two, in Matthew 7, Jesus said we would know them by their fruits. 1 John 4, we are told to test the spirits of the person in order to recognize false prophets. Philip Nation's statement, no one drifts toward holiness. We must guard against the drift. How do we do that? As a staff, we have been concerned for some time that we are making attenders and not disciples. We sat around the table one day and, and uh, found ourselves asking, hey, have any of you ever been discipled? None of us had. None of us had been in a, in a small interpersonal teaching relationship where at the end of that time we knew how to go out and make another disciple. And so we began to search. We don't mind copying. We don't mind being led. to. We began to search at some churches who were doing that. There was a wrestling coach who lost his college coach, and he wanted to be a wrestling coach. He lost his college coach in his senior year, and God used that to turn his heart against wrestling. Got involved with a church on the West Coast. Long story. God told that pastor, we're going to send you and four families to plant a church in Post Falls, Idaho. I had to look it up. It's in the middle of nowhere. He has built one of the largest churches that there are, that there is in the Northwest. And how did he do it? Everyone is in a discipleship group, not a Sunday school class. Saying, Dave, are you against Sunday school? Hey, let me ask you this. If you've been in a Sunday school class for four years, some of you have been in one for 40, at the end of a year or at the end of four years or at the end of 40 years, do you know how to go out and start a new class? We have a serious issue with Sunday school classes here who have never birthed and launched a new class. We know, we studied in seminary, that the, whole, the way you grow a church is through small groups, and you do it by continually launching new groups. And today, some of you are calling to be a missionary out of your class and launch out and do that. But there's, even if you know how to launch a new Sunday school class, are you a disciple? We prayed through, if you'll put that graphic up there, we prayed through and sought out, and some of you have seen this. It should be, we printed on the back of the bulletins, our discipleship pathway. Number one up there on the left, worship. I, I bought a plastic barrel on Facebook Marketplace today, or, or this past week, and I, uh, in, in handing the guy my $10, I said, let me ask you a question. Do you worship anywhere on Sunday? And he says, well, this Sunday we're wor worshiping in God's church. And I went, right, where is that? He goes, we're going camping. And I said, oh, well, you don't find that in the Bible. And I was having thought about everything I was going to be speaking this, I thought, mm, wish you were going to be there. Like, I will create the worship that I expect. God tells us to get together, to come together, and, and what a rich and glorious worship service it would be if we all worshiped individually through the week and then came here and joined together in worship on a Sunday. You would not believe the spirit that would be moving in this room. 
but then connect groups. We, if you are in this room and you only come in here during this time and you are not in a small, you would know it as a Sunday school class. We call them connect groups because we can't have a Sunday school class on Thursday night. Otherwise, it would be called Thursday school. But if we call them connect groups, which says in the word Sunday school, that, does that tell you what it's supposed to be? No, connect groups. Why? Because we want you to connect with a smaller group. This is too big a group for us to connect. If you get sick or you go in the hospital or you have a spiritual need in your life or, or there's a crisis going through, we will never know this. But if you get in a small group, we'll know that. And we'll study God's word. We'll find out what he has to teach to us. And we will connect with one another. The next is make disciples. And, and we've done a pretty good job at those first two, but that third section is hard. It is hard work. Men, I don't know about you, but when I think about the, the concept of getting together with three other men or two other men and spending a year, and we sign this contract saying we will study God's Word, we will memorize Scripture, we will study the chapter, we're getting ready to start, and then we will commit to each other for one year. And at the end of that year, we don't meet anymore. We go out and each of us find two or three other men and we do that process all over again. And we have a book by Robbie Gallaty called Grow Up. And it takes you, it'll take you about five, six months to go through Grow Up. And it'll take you about two months just to get to where you feel like you can reveal things. Man, I have struggled with this sin. I mean, who in your life do you say, can I, can I share with you a sin that's just nailing me to the wall? No. And you don't do that in your connect group. It'd be really awkward if you did. You sure don't do it in here. But we are told to confess our sins one to another, James 5. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. At the end of one year in a D group, you will be able to say, I know how to do this because you've done it for a year. And you'll go out and say, hey, would you, would you guys be interested in joining me on this? And I will tell you, I'm supposed to be overseeing that process and and it's been a very awkward start. We, we, we speak it, but we have discipleship groups around here that have attended great number when it starts. We'll have 50, 60 in the room. And when they find out there's homework, <laughs> it ends up being 16. It, it, don't, look at, don't look at me and go, oh, you're calling out our group. It's been happening for years here. As long as you can just sit and listen, we're good. But when you have to get invested, and that's what makes a D group so hard, you are signing a covenant with three other ladies or three other men that I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this for a year. And we're going we're to disciple each other. There's no leader. You don't have to go, well, we don't have a leader. You're reading through the book. It tells you step by step how to do it. We pay $15 for the book. The pastor's been selling them for 10 I'm not sure what we're going to sell them for, but let me know. Find three that you want to be in, four. They say, hey, let's do this. Because the cost of not doing it is greater than the cost of doing it. Both in our families, in our church, we're making attenders. We're not making disciples. And Jesus said, go and make disciples. Attenders. He said, go and make. Let's do it. God may be speaking to your heart this morning. How can we discern the false prophets 
unless we know God's word, unless we know truth. And if this is the only place you get that, you have a great spiritual vitamin deficiency. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be this strapping, tall, healthy-looking guy. Well, bear with me. If I only ate once a week. Thank you.